The Tale of Two Brothers Once upon a time there were two brothers called Ampu and Bata who lived beside the Nile. Ampu the elder had a beautiful wife and a house with a garden round it and a rich land beside the river. Bata the younger lived with him, more like a son than a brother. But he worked hard and willingly for Ampu, making his clothes, driving his oxen out to oxen out to pasture, plowing and sowing the seed in rich mud after the inundation, and reaping the golden corn as springtime turned into the first hot days of summer. And in time he grew to be an excellent farmer. There was not an equal of his in all the land. And Harmachis, the god of the rising sun, had him in his especial care. Day by day, Bata followed the oxen, and in the evening came back to the house laden with the herbs of the field, with milk and with wool, and with all the rest of the farm produce, and he would put them down before his elder brother, who would be sitting there with his wife beside him, and he would eat and drink, and then go to sleep near the oxen to guard them from all harm. And when morning came, he would take the bread he had baked and lay it before them, before taking his own with him, out into the fields as he drove the cattle on to pasture. As he walked behind the grass one day, there spoke to him, saying, Oh, I'm so, excuse me, I totally read that wrong. Redo. As he walked behind the cattle one day, they spoke to him, saying, The best grass for us is over there. And Hermachus gave him the power of understanding their words, so that he took them always to his best pastures. And the cattle grew exceedingly strong and beautiful and had a multitude of fine calves. But for some time, Bata and Ampu dwelt thus happily together. And the blessing of Hamachis was upon all that Bata did. And it brought prosperity such as few mortals have ever known. Yet, at last, evil came of it. For Anpu's wife grew jealous of Bata and envious that all their good fortune depended on him, and she brought trouble between the two brothers with lying tales and wicked sinful words. And the end of it was that on an evening of spring, when Bata came home driving the herd before him and carrying on his head a load of herbs, as was his custom, the foremost cow turned and said, as she entered the stable before him, See, your elder brother is standing behind the door with a drawn knife in his hand to slay you. Therefore, flee away. Well, at first, Bata paid no attention. But when the next cow said the same thing, he looked down and saw his brother's feet beneath the stable door. Then he cast down his load and fled away, with Anpu after him, knife in hand. Then Bata cried out to Harmachis, god of the rising sun, saying, My lord, my good lord, who saves the good from the evil, help me now. Harmachis heard his cry and suddenly opened a channel of water between the two brothers, which they could not cross, since it was full of crocodiles. So they were forced to wait, one on either side, until the sun rose. And when Hermachus had filled the world with a red light of morning, Bata cried to Ampu, Why did you run after me to slay me, without waiting to hear what I had to say to you? Am I not truly your brother? And have you not been to me as a father, and your wife as a mother? And then he told all the tale of the wicked plots of Ampu's wife, and made a vow before Hermachus that what he said was true and cut himself with his knife to sanctify the oath. Then Anpu was filled with sorrow, 
and longed to go and comfort his brother and beg his forgiveness, but he could not do so because of the channel full of crocodiles which Hamachis had opened between them. Presently, Bata said, Because you have believed evil of me and tried to kill me without letting me speak, I will leave you to tend your own cattle, and I shall go to the secret valley of the acacia, and there I shall call forth my ba, my hidden soul, and I shall place it on top of the acacia flowers. If anyone cuts down the acacia tree, my ba will fall to the ground, and you must come to seek it and put it in a cup of cold, pure water, so that it may return to my body once more, and I may live. And you shall know that I have need of you, and that the acacia has been cut down by this sign. When someone sets a cup of beer in your hand, and the beer seethes and bubbles in the cup and is troubled, then come in haste to seek me. So Bata journeyed across the desert to the valley of Acacia, but Anpu went back to his house, slew his wicked wife, and flung her body to the dogs. Then he sat down and mourned for the loss of his younger brother. Many days passed, and Bata still dwelt in the valley of the Acacia. There he lived altogether alone, hunting the wild beasts in the desert, and coming back each evening to lie down and sleep under the acacia, which held his ba upon its topmost bough. In time he built for himself a high tower in the valley of acacia, and filled it with good things, so that it might be his home. Now from time to time the gods themselves walked visibly in the valley of the acacia, and it chanced on a day that the nine who had the highest honor at Memphis came to the tower where ba Bata dwelt. When he saw them, Bata fell down and worshipped them. Then they spoke one to another about him, and at last Harmachas said, Greetings to you, Bata. Do you dwell here alone? And when Bata bowed his head at this, Harmachas continued, We know that you left your home on account of the wife of your brother Ampu, the wicked wife whom he has now slain, and we hold that you have done well and shown yourself truly innocent. Then Harmachas turned to Knemu, the molder of men, and said, It is good that Bata the righteous should dwell no more alone. Make for him a woman to be his wife. So Knemu took clay and fashioned it, and made the most beautiful woman in all Egypt, perfect in shape and limb. And Ra breathed the breath of life into her, and the rest of the gods gave her gifts. Then they departed to their own place, and the seven Hathors came to spin the fate of Bata's wife. And one of them said, she will die a sharp death. Bata rose from his knees when the Hathors had gone and took his lovely wife by the hand and led her into the tower. And there he gave her jewels and garments of golden net, and she dwelt happily with him, and he loved her exceedingly. Presently, Bata began to go hunting again during the day. But before he left his wife, he told her of how his Ba dwelt on the topmost flower of the acacia tree beside the tower, and... What would chance to him if any man should find it? Also, he said to her, It has been revealed to me that trouble will come upon us from the river, so I command you to remain in the tower and beneath the tree in the valley of the acacia and never to go out into the valley of the shore, lest the river should seize you. Bata told her this many times, and the more he told her, the more she longed to go out into the river of Acacia and look upon this strange thing called the river. At last she could control her curiosity no longer, and one day when Bata was far away hunting in the desert, she stole out of the valley of the Acacia and down to the river bank where she walked on the fresh, fresh grass. 
marveling at the broad blue waters that danced and sparkled in the sunshine and rippled against the bank. Presently, however, happy the Nile god beheld her and was filled with desire. With a roar he came rushing down over the land to seize her, and she fled away toward the valley of the Acacia, crying aloud in terror. But as she turned to fly, Happy caught hold of her, and before she could break away, he snatched up a lock of her hair. Bata's wife fled back to the tower, and never again ventured out of the valley of Acacia, down on the shore of the Nile, nor did she tell her husband of her disobedience or how she had been punished for it. So I'm going to pause here for a moment. This is a long story. It goes on for a while, and I'm going to finish it. But I'm going to pause here for a moment because as I'm reading this story and as I'm learning more and more about Egypt, one of the things I'm wondering is how westernized this story is. And the reason I'm asking that is because our Western culture that comes out of Europe tends to place women in a very subordinate quiet kind of behind the scenes place as though they're not really you know full people and I'm noticing that the women in this story show up that way the wives for example never have a name and they're sort of seen as disobedient and punished for it but yet you see the men are named and the men have power and the women in this story have no power and from what I know about Egypt is that women actually had quite a bit more power in early Egypt. They were not considered equal to men, another ridiculous fact, but they were given far more rights than women in Europe, um, in old Europe, medieval Europe, and than women in the early Americas. Um, and um, I'm talking, of course, of the Western European culture, the colonizers, those of us who would mostly be considered to be um, white in origin. And of course, this is, is the culture that sees both um, sees women as not as um, not on par with the men. So I'm noticing this in this story, and I want to go back to the original and see how it reads. All right, Miss Leah's done talking. Back to the story. But the Nile carried the lock of hair down to the sacred lake at Memphis, and it floated in the water at the place where the washermen from the palace washed the clothes of the pharaoh. And the sweet scent from the lock of hair passed into pharaoh's garments. Everyone marveled at the perfume, which was sweeter and pleasanter than any that had ever been known before. And the washermen quarreled among themselves, each claiming that he was responsible for giving pharaoh this new and exquisite pleasure. The overseer of the washerman was angry at these quarrels, and he went himself to the sacred lake to see if he could solve the mystery. He stood at the exact spot where the lock of hair was floating, and when he had seen it and smelt its fragrance, he carried it in triumph back to the pharaoh. Then the scribes and magicians of Memphis were summoned into the presence of pharaoh, and when they had studied the lock of hair, the chief magician said, O oh, pharaoh, life, health, strength be to you. This is a wondrous lock of hair that comes from the head of the daughter of Harmachis, god of the rising sun. The essence of every god is in here, in her. It comes to you from a distant land to bring you praise and good fortune. And therefore we advise you to send out messengers to seek for her and bring her to be your wife. Hmm. What you tell me fills my heart with delight and longing, said Pharaoh. Therefore it is my decree that messengers go forth into all lands to find this daughter of Harmachis, whom the gods have destined to be my bride. So the messengers set out. 
each with a small company of soldiers to guard him, and they went far and wide in search of the princess with the scented hair. One party came at length to the valley of the Acacia, and would have taken Bata's wife to be the bride of Pharaoh, but Bata drew his sword and smote them all to the ground in his anger. Yet one man lived, though sore wounded, and he crept away to tell Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh sent an army, but he bade them wait by the river while the guile was tried. They obeyed his order and lay hidden in their boats while one woman went up into the valley of the Acacia and spoke with Bata's wife. And when she told her of the power and glory that would be hers as Pharaoh's bride and gave her the rich jewels and ornaments that he had sent her, Bata's wife did not hesitate to run away secretly and sail down the Nile in the royal boat to become the bride of the Pharaoh. When she came to Memphis, Pharaoh loved her exceedingly and made her princess of Egypt, the chief of his wives. But he said, my messenger reports that you already have a husband in the Valley of Acacia. Tell me concerning him. And she said, well, all that needs to be told is that he is not as other men are. Therefore, send swiftly to the Valley of Acacia and cut down the acacia tree beside the tower and destroy it utterly. Aha, that's where his ba dwells in the top of that tree. Pharaoh issued the command. His servants hasted up the Nile far to the south until they came to the entrance to the valley of the Acacia. They entered the valley and cut down the tree which stood beside the tower and destroyed it with fire. When the flower which held the Ba, the soul of Bata, was cut down, it fell to the ground, and Bata also sank down and died in that very same moment of evil. That very hour, Anpu, his brother, entered his own house, washed his hands, and called for a cup of beer. A servant set it in his hands, and at once the beer grew muddy and seethed in the cup, like the boiling and roiling of a troubled sea. Then Anpu cried, Evil has befallen Bata, my brother. Now I must hasten away to the valley of the Acacia to restore him. So he bound his sandals on his feet, took his weapons and his staff, and set out immediately. In time he came to the valley of the Acacia, entered the tower, and found Bata lying there dead upon the floor. He wept mourned for a while and then he went out into the valley of the acacia and sought for the ba of his brother for three years he sought in vain and then at last he decreed tomorrow i will return to egypt when the sun rose he decided to spend one last day seeking for his brother's soul all day he searched in vain and as the sun was sinking he returned to the tower as he passed beneath the branches of the new acacia tree which had grown where the old one stood, a seed fell at his feet. He picked up the seed and flung it into a cup of cold water, and then he sat down according to his custom. Now that seed, as you may have guessed, held the ba of Bata, and when it had sucked up all of the water as a sponge does, Bata's body began to tremble all over, and presently the corpse sat up, ghastly in the moonlight, and held out its withered hand. Anpu set the cup in the corpse's hand, and it raised it to its lips and drained it. Then, and only then, did the soul return into Bata's body, and he was a withered corpse no longer, but once again a living man. He rose from where he lay, and the two brothers clasped each other in their arms, and the night fled away in the joy of their reunion. But when the first light of dawn appeared and Harmachus, the god of the morning, was about to drive the chariot of Ra up into the sky beyond the eastern desert, Bata said to Anpu, 
I must leave you now, for so the gods decree. My human form cannot endure, and my spirit must enter into a bull, sacred to Ptah, lord of Memphis. When the sun rises, you will see me no more as Bata, but only as this holy bull with all of the correct marks upon me. Never a black hair save upon my forehead, my neck and back and spots of the right shape. You must mount upon my back, and I will carry you to Pharaoh's court, where you will be rewarded with silver and gold, because you bring the bull who will become a great marvel throughout all the land. For all will deem that in it dwells the spirit of a god. Ampu embraced his brother once more, and then Bata went out into the darkness. And when the sun rose and the world was filled with light, there stood before the tower a magnificent white bull with great sweeping horns. Ampu mounted on his back, and they traveled along the river bank for many days until they came to Memphis. Pharaoh rejoiced when he saw the bull and rewarded Ampu richly, saying, This is indeed a great wonder which has come to pass. The whole land rejoiced at the coming of the great bull of Ptah, and he was given a beautiful dwelling place and many attendants not far from the royal place. Ampu, laden with riches, returned to his home and dwelt there with all honor. Not long after he had gone from the court, however, there was a holy day in honor of Ptah, and the great bull passed into the temple and stood in the holy place. Presently the princess of Egypt came to make her offering, and the bull said to her, Behold me alive! whom you thought dead. Who are you then? she asked in surprise, and the bull answered, I am Bata, your husband, whom you sought to kill by causing Pharaoh to cut down and destroy the tree in the valley of Acacia, in which my spirit rested. But my brother Ampu found my ba and the likeness of a seed, and now it has entered into this body, and I am Bata, the bull of Ptah. At this the princess was filled with fear, and she fled speedily out of the temples, devising in her heart how she might destroy Bata the bull, even more thoroughly than she had destroyed him when he was a man and her husband. At length she invited Pharaoh to her, to her place. He came with the morning sun, and all day she entertained him and made his heart glad. At night they feasted. And she so wrought upon Pharaoh that he cried, Truly, my princess, I will grant you a great boon, even to the half of my kingdom. Ask, and I will give. And then the princess said, You must swear before the gods in these words, Whatever you, the princess of Egypt, asks, that I may promise to grant. Well, Pharaoh swore the oath. Then the princess cried, Give me the liver of the bull of Ptah to eat, for he is wholly useless for any kind of work. Pharaoh was filled with sorrow at her words, but for his oath's sake he needed must do as she asked. So the next day he decreed a great feast in the temple of Ptah, and commanded that the bull should be slain as an offering, and one of the chief royal slaughterers was brought to kill the bull. And after the deed was done, and the attendants were carrying the body out of the temple to prepare for the great feast, the dead bull suddenly jerked on his head, and two drops of blood fell on one side. Two drops of blood fell, one on either side of the pylon gateway. Next morning, two persia trees had grown from the drops of blood, and stood overshadowing the pylon gate. Wonderful and fragrant. Then messengers hastened to the palace and told the pharaoh, Behold, a wonder has come to pass. 
Two great Perseid trees have sprung up in the night and stand on either side of the temple gateway before the pylons. Then the pharaoh and all of the people rejoiced greatly and paid much honor to the two magic trees. They flourished for many months and seemed to be bringing many blessings on the land of Egypt, not the least of which was that the princess was soon to bear a child. For although Pharaoh had many children, only the child of the great royal wife, the princess of Egypt, could succeed to the throne. When the time drew near, Pharaoh and the princess went into the state, went in state to the temple of Ptah, and he wore the double crown of Egypt, and the princess was garlanded with flowers. After the ceremony, they sat in the shade of the magic persia trees without the pylon gate. Now Pharaoh slept for a while, and while he did, the Persia tree behind her spoke to the princess, saying, O wicked and deceitful one, know that I am Bata, your husband, whom twice you have slain. When my ba rested on the tree in the valley of Acacia, and when it entered into the holy bull of Ptah, then the princess was filled with fear, and she thought swiftly how she might slay Bata once and for all. Soon she hit upon a plan. She cast herself at Pharaoh's feet, clasping his knees, and cried out, Pharaoh, my lord, grant me a boon, or I shall die, and no son will be born to sit on the throne of Egypt after you have gone to dwell with Osiris. Then Pharaoh woke in a great fright and exclaimed, I swear before the gods to grant whatever it is that you may wish. Only rise from the ground and cease to cry out, lest some evil befall both you and your unborn child. Then cut down these Persia trees, she cried. Cut them into planks and use the wood, but burn with fire both the leaves and the roots. Pharaoh was filled with sorrow at her words, but he knew that he must not cross her will, for he could not break his oath. So he sent for his carpenters, and they cut down the Persia trees, and hewed them into planks, and burnt both the roots and the leaves. The princess of Egypt stood watching, and suddenly she laughed with joy at the destruction of the trees. As she laughed, a splinter of wood from one of them flew into her mouth, and she swallowed it. That very night, a son was born to her, who grew into a strong and handsome young man. Pharaoh loved him well, and made him the prince of Cush, so that all might know that he would next sit upon the Egyptian throne. And when Pharaoh went to join the other gods, the prince became Pharaoh indeed. And at once he sent for all his lords, for the princess his mother, and for Ampu. And he told them all that had befallen, saying, I am Bata, who was born again, as the son of the good god who rests with Osiris, and of this woman, who was once my wife when I dwelt in the valley of the Acacia. And then all bowed down before him, crying, Pharaoh, 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 life, health, and strength be to you. After this, judgment was passed upon the princess of Egypt according to the law of gods and humans, and she died a sharp death, even as the Hawthors had prophesied. But Bata reigned as Pharaoh for thirty years with his brother Ampu, his chief advisor. And when Bata also went to join the gods, Anpu stood beside his body, saw it laid to rest in a deep tomb in the Valley of Kings, behind western Thebes.